0: with you this morning let's bow our heads and pray as we come to god's word father god thank you for your word thank you that through it you communicate to us you communicate about who you are and what you have done and we pray today as we look at the word who came to earth the word who became flesh that you will give us ears to hear what you have to say to us in jesus name Amen. There's a song by Bette Midler called From a Distance. Now, I'm pretty confident most of you won't have heard of Bette Midler. She's a singer from the Dark Ages who's even more ancient than me. I did try to find a really contemporary uh, example, but I'm afraid I failed. Um, I've got to say, each time I try to find a contemporary example of a song or something, my boys cringe. Um, So, I don't know throw up my hands and give up. But anyway, here are some of the lyrics from Bette Midler's song, From a Distance. From a distance there is harmony and it echoes through the land. It's the voice of hope, it's the voice of peace, it's the voice of every man. From a distance we all have enough and no one is in need. There are no guns, no bombs, no disease, no hungry mouths to feed. And then the chorus goes... God is watching us, God is watching us from a distance, God is watching us from a distance. Now, as with most songs, I don't really have a clue what this is trying to say, but uh, here's my guess, I think Bette Midler is saying that hope and peace and no guns, etc. isn't the current reality, but it's something that she can see on the horizon and hopes that one day we will get there. And God is watching us from a distance. It seems to be saying that God is so far away, (coughs) excuse me, he's so far away that he seems not to be involved with us. He watches, but he doesn't do anything. And so we don't have peace and harmony in our world. Anyway, that's my take on it. But one of the biggest questions that people have faced through the centuries is why does God seem to stand at a distance? Why does God, who is all-powerful and infinite, seem to be so far away? Why is there so much brokenness? Even atheists have shaken their fists at the God that they don't believe in. And it's not just the big ticket items of history, the Nazi Holocaust, the World Wars, the famines. But in our own lives as well, it often seems like God is distant and there's a barrier that we just can't break through. Some people have rationalised the problem by saying that God actually does care but he's just not powerful enough to do anything. There's another song by Joan Osborne and, and this time I'm pleased to say that I've broken into the 21st century this was released in 2008. It's called What If God Was One Of Us. Here's a sample of the lyrics. What if God was one of us, just a slob like one of us, just a stranger on the bus, trying to make his way home, just trying to make his way home like a holy rolling stone, back up to heaven all alone, just trying to make his way home. Nobody calling on the phone, except for the Pope maybe be in Rome. Again, I don't know what it means but here's my stab at it. I think Joan Osborne is trying to say that perhaps God is so much like us he's, well, he's one of us. Not an all-powerful God at all but actually a human being. In other words, God isn't God at all. Two very different perspectives, aren't they? One is saying that we have an all-powerful God who watches from a distance but whatever reason chooses not to intervene the other saying that there is a God who cares but he isn't really God because he's actually not really in control of what happens here on earth not much of a choice is it but what if there's another option what if there's a third way what if there is an all-powerful creator who actually does care one who has seen the mess we've made of the world and he actually does do something about it. Well, John 1 tells us that's exactly what has happened. The Word, the God who made the universe has acted in history by taking on human flesh, by taking on human weakness to become one of us. Before we jump into our passage, just a few words about the book of John. The book of John is one of four biographies of the life of Jesus. But it's not an ordinary biography. You know how in an ordinary biography, there are all sorts of, basically tries to tell the whole story of someone's life. John is writing to give for a very specific purpose. He's writing to give with a very specific aim to show who Jesus is and to urge his readers to put their faith in him. Today we're going to be looking at just the first bit of chapter 1. It's often called the prologue, just the first 18 verses. And what John does in these verses is he introduces a lot of the themes that we will be finding throughout the whole book of John. We'll see things that come up over and over again introduced here. So let's dive in and see what John has to say. The first point we have up there, the word who created the world in verses 1 to 5. The first... Is that right? Yeah, okay, I've got it, yep. In the beginning... Why haven't I got my... Sorry, we're jumping ahead. No, I haven't got it. You'll just have to follow along in your Bibles if you have it. But we're going to look from verse 1. Verse 1 of John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Straight away we see John starting with a phrase that his original readers would have immediately recognised. In the beginning. John was writing to Jews who grew up on a diet of the Old Testament, the Jewish scriptures. The very first words of the Old Testament are, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John is painting a very clear picture that this word is associated with creation, creation of everything, creation of the heavens and the earth. He was with God. In fact, he was God. We're not giving any details here, but John hints at the reality of God somehow being more than the Word. He wasn't all that there is to God, but he was with God. We haven't got time to unpack that, but a little pointed to God being made up of the Word plus the Father And later on in John, we hear about the Spirit. All three make up what we call the Trinity. One God being made up of three persons. But the emphasis here in this section is on the Word and His role in creating everything. Have we got verse 3 here? Yep, we have. Let's look at at verse 3. Through Him all things were made. Without Him nothing was made. That has been made. Then verse 4. In him was life. And that life was the light of men. This is the creator God. Who made everything out of nothing. Again. A vivid reflection of the words. Of Genesis chapter 1. The account of creation. There God brought life. Where there was nothing. Nothing where there was only cold space and inanimate rocks. In Genesis 1 verse 3, God said, Let there be light, and there was light to drive away the darkness. But now back in John, John 1 verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. The darkness here is symbolic of a lack of knowledge and understanding and beyond that a moral failure to accept the truth but more of that in a minute so we have the word the god god the creator who made everything and gives life and light to human beings but why does john call in the word it seems a strange way to talk about god what's this mean Well, I want to suggest that there are two reasons why he is called the Word. Number one, he has the authority to bring things into being by speaking, by his powerful Word. Again, back in Genesis chapter 1, we hear a phrase repeated over and over, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God said, let the waters be separated, and it was so. And God said... Let the, vegeta- let the land produce vegetation and it was so. God speaks a powerful word and he brings into being things where there was nothing. Just like that. So the word is God's authority to bring things, to speak things into being. And the second thing that the word is, is that it's God's way of communicating to humanity it's the Creator revealing Himself to us. Words explain, they make something known. And His Word, in His Word, God has made Himself known to us. But John tells us that He reaches out and speaks to a world that refuses to listen. And that's our second part of the passage in verses 7 to 13. Look at verse 10 with me. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. The word came to his own world, the one he himself formed in the palm of his hand, but his own creatures who he himself breathed life into, didn't recognise him and didn't receive him. Now sometimes we use the word not recognise in the sense of just not seeing clearly who someone is. If it's pitch dark, um, like I might be walking down the path and um, John walks past, but I can't see him so I don't recognise him even though I know who he is. But it's not talking about that. Here the meaning is much more than that. It's a deliberate choice not to receive the word for who he is. Like receiving a guest or not receiving a guest when they knock at the door. There have been times, usually on a Sunday afternoon, when um, I'm busily occupied drinking coffee or maybe having a beer if it's late enough and watching the football or playing a computer game when a Jehovah's Witness or a vacuum cleaner salesman knocks at the door. And uh, I have made a choice not to receive them. I've turned them away. And that's what John's talking about here. The world, that is the people who live there, that's you and I, we have made a choice to turn away the Word of God. We have chosen not to accept him, not to receive him. Turning our backs on the one who made us and gave us life is a deplorable thing to do. It's as na- unnatural and unjust as children rejecting their parents. Now sadly I hear through the media, that this is becoming more and more popular, uh, sorry, uncommon, uh, common rather, I meant to say. Children rejecting their parents is becoming more and more common. Here's one story from the UK. Sarah Rafferty from Yorkshire hasn't seen or spoken to her eldest daughter, Rachel, 27, for six years. She still cries herself to sleep at night because of the rejection, particularly as she has never seen her only grandchild. When she had her baby, that was the hardest time, she said. I cried all night. All I've ever wanted is to be a mother and grandmother and she has denied me that. The most awful thing is I've been told by a friend that Rachel has told a daughter that I am dead. I cannot, t- I cannot tell you what that does to me. I tried all my life to be a perfect mother. And that's just like what we have done to the one who created us. Human beings who depend on this word of God for every breath that we breathe, who has given us everything good and beautiful in this world that we could ever hope for, for our enjoyment we have refused to recognise him. We have turned our back on him and we have refused to receive him when he came to his own. And it's not a case of us not receiving the word because we were somehow taken by surprise. Because John tells us that God sent someone in advance to prepare us for his coming. Have a look at verse 6. There came a man who was sent by God, his name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all people might believe. John's not talking about himself here, it's another John who we know as John the Baptist. John the Baptist came as a witness to the word. In the days before mass media, he was God's public announcement. That the, that the word of God was going to come. And notice God, what God wants the outcome to be. He wants all people to believe in him. So there's something about his coming that's really important that God really wants us to know. He doesn't want us to miss out on this news. Remember back in verse 4 that we are told that the word is life. And he brings light to humanity. Life is something we can't live without. And light shows us what's true and what's real. So it seems that having both light and life is connected with accepting and believing this word of God. Then we come to our final section, which is the climax to our whole passage the lights go on and the identity of this mysterious word is revealed the word becomes flesh and becomes one of us he becomes one of his creation part of his creation look at me look with me at verse 14 the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen his glory The glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Creator takes on human form. He becomes one of us and He came to live with us. The word that John uses here is is tabernacled. He tabernacled with us. And if you're familiar with your Old Testament, you may recognise that word. The tabernacle was a tent. A very special tent. It was a tent that God lived in when he led the Israelites out of the desert after coming out of Egypt in the land of Canaan, towards the land of Canaan. I have some great memories of camping with my three boys. We Doug and Bill uh, on two separate occasions in Taiwan. We went mountain climbing and, 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 and I camped with them. We shared a little Two man tent, and let me tell you every little odor and sound was very uh, very much present in that tent, but it was a great time of bonding with them and Then with Daniel, a slightly less adventurous, camping uh, on a soccer field at his school, but the location doesn 't matter there 's something about sharing that experience of of living together, especially living in a tent at close quarters of choosing to spend that time with them. It was very special. It was a very bonding kind of experience. The Word of God chose to be with us. He chose to live with us, become one of us. Like He did in the desert in the tabernacle, but different. Because this time we could see Him and touch Him. In the tabernacle, the people, there's actually a significant barrier between God and the people. The people couldn't just go in willy nilly and meet with God. Some tried to do that and they paid with their lives for it. Because God is holy, He is perfect, He is wholly different from, from us human beings. He cannot tolerate our sin. He cannot tolerate our impurity, our greed, our selfishness. So there remained a great distance between God and his people. Even though the tabernacle symbolised his presence with them, there still remained a great distance between God and his people. But now the word has come. And invited us to meet with him face to face. He ate with us, he laughed with us, he cried with us. Now, John finally reveals the identity of this word in verse 17 Jesus Christ, the one who has seen God, verse 18, the one who is at the Father's side, again, verse 18. The one who is himself, God the one and only. God who became man to reveal God the Father and reveal himself to us. Back in John, in verse 14, still got it on our screen, John tells us that in revealing himself, Jesus the word reveals his glory. Look at the second half of the verse with me again. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. What we have here is a little preview, a little hint at why Jesus came into the world, why he took on flesh. The theme of Jesus' glory is one that comes up time and time again through the book of John, particularly through the second half of the book. When Jesus talks about his glory being revealed he points to his death because it's through his death that he would show show his ability, his authority to destroy sin and death for us and in so doing he would show his authority and identity as the son of God It's a beautiful little picture of the way that God works. The death of Jesus on a Roman cross was seen as being a great defeat, a thing of unspeakable shame. But for Jesus, it's the high point. The very thing that he came to earth for, the thing that most shows his love, the thing that most shows what God is like, That most shows God's grace. As it says at the end of verse 14. And again in verse 17, John talks about the grace that Jesus brings. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Grace is God's favour to us when we don't deserve it. Jesus came to provide a solution for the problem of undeserving, rebellious human beings dealing with a perfect God. Without God's favour, without God's grace, the end of the story isn't good for us. We get what we deserve, which is separation from God, eternal separation from God where God really is watching us from a distance and we've no way of getting close to him. In verse 17, John talks about the law coming through Moses. The law was the regulations that God gave to Moses as he brought them out of Egypt. It was a time that the tabernacle, again, the tabernacle was was established, set up, God dwelling with his people. But remember that in many ways he was still distant. The people could not meet with God face to face or that they would die. But now with Jesus, everything has changed. In taking on flesh and dying for us, Jesus has destroyed those barriers between us and God. When Jesus cried out his last breath on the cross, a strange but significant thing happened in the temple in Jerusalem, just down the road. Now, the temple is something that replaced the tabernacle. A permanent building for God rather than the tent. It served the same purpose, really. It was the same symbolism, God dwelling with his people. It was just a permanent fixture where once there was a tent. In this temple, symbolising God dwelling with his people, the curtain, there was a big curtain representing a barrier. Remember we talked about that distance between a holy God and sinful people. That curtain representing that barrier was torn in two. There was no longer a barrier between God and his people that distance was breached. In Jesus, God no longer is watching from a distance, but through Jesus, a way is open for us to come directly to God and meet with him face to face. The old ways under Moses have been replaced by grace that comes through Jesus Christ. The word of God takes on frail flesh, God himself comes down to the level of weak, finite, sinful human beings so that he could reveal himself to us, so he could live with us, so that he could die for us to deal with human sin and rebellion once and for all so that through Jesus we can now dwell with God face to face and find life and light. Now friends, we know that this world-shattering event happened 2,000 years ago, more than 2,000 years ago now. It would be easy for us here in 2019 to be thinking, well, that's a lovely story, Marshall, but it actually doesn't really have much of an impact on me. It's a nice thing to to know but it doesn't change my life but Jesus coming taking on flesh to save the world wasn't just to save the world it was to save Jason it was to save John Jesus coming to die for us wasn't just for the world out there it was because Marshall is a sinner. You see, the world isn't just a faceless faceless blob of humanity. It's you and I. And in this passage, John confronts each one of us with the question, how are you going to respond to Jesus? Maybe you're new to church. Maybe you've been coming along during February with the Questions for God series. And, and it's fantastic that you're back here today. But perhaps you're still trying to get your head around, what is this Christianity thing? Who is this Jesus? If that's you, I want to encourage you to know that through these words, God is speaking to you. He's telling you that along with me, And everyone here today, along with every human being who's ever lived, we are all part of a world who's rejected Jesus. We, as individuals, have all rejected Jesus. And because of that, God is distant. You have no way of bridging that gap. It's the Grand Canyon, it cannot be crossed. Because of our sin. You have no prospect of getting right with God by yourself, but there is good news. The one and only way we have of getting right with that God who is distant is through Jesus. And that's why he did the unthinkable, that's why he put aside his crown and his authority and came to earth to pay the penalty we deserve to pay for our sin. That's why he died on the cross. We talked about Jesus bringing grace. It's grace because he offers restoration with God. He offers eternal life as a free gift. All we have to do is put our faith in him. There's nothing else we... We don't bring anything to the table. There's nothing else we can do but to trust in Jesus. If you're in that position, then I want, to, I want to encourage you, in fact, I urge you to please don't leave here today without thinking about taking the next step towards putting your trust in Jesus. I would love to talk to you more about that or Peter or whoever brought you here as well. But for most of us, we will be in the position of already trusting in Jesus. The difficulty for us may be in taking on board the truth of John 1 in our day-to-day lives. Perhaps you're struggling with loneliness and isolation. Maybe your family aren't believers and, and it's hard for you to come to church each Sunday. Maybe they don't understand why your family don't understand why you give up your sunday you, you you don't you don't have lunch with them but you choose to come to church instead Perhaps you have a spouse who won't come to church with you or is hostile because you come to church Or maybe you feel like you don't quite fit in at church and you feel on your own Maybe you feel like people don't quite understand you, the struggles you face. Maybe you're weighed down by sin and think that others can't possibly identify with you because of what you're going through. Or even that God can't really accept you for what you've done. If any of this describes you, then John 1 is good news because Jesus became one of us not just for the world but for you. The writer writer of the book of Hebrews says this. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathise with our weaknesses but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. That high priest is Jesus. He was tempted in every way because he took on human flesh. He hurt like us. He knew joy, but he also knew disappointment and sadness and loneliness and betrayal and suffering. Not just like us, but far more than we will ever know. And most importantly of all, Jesus knew what it meant to be cut off from God, forsaken by him. The punishment of God that should have been ours so that we need no longer be cut off from God but can live with him forever, face to face. Amen.